This is the Side Hustle Show with Nick Loper, episode 46, blogging in your spare time from zero to $17,000 a month. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. Hey everybody, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. This is episode 46, and it's going to be a good one, man. I've got Bjork and Lindsay here from Pinch of Young, pinchofyum.com, and actually, and also foodbloggerpro.com. I met uh, Bjork uh, really briefly at Affiliate Summit this uh, this winter. He stopped by my little Q&A session on outsourcing, and, and after the show, when I went to follow up with this guy... I found this this business and this blog that he and his wife were running and was crazy impressed. Another huge real-life side hustle success story. Plus, they're adorable. High school sweethearts, just like Britt and I. So um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get right into it with Bjork and Lindsay from pinchofyum.com. Hey, uh, Lindsay and Bjork, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having us. Hey, Nick. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Awesome. I'm excited for this one. You guys are the founders of the of the beautiful and hugely popular Pinch of Yum blog, as well as the, the spinoff. I don't know if we can call it a spinoff. The, uh, the sure. Food Blogger Pro kind of a membership and training website for other bloggers. And the cool thing is both these businesses started as side hustles, and I guess they really still are side hustles. So let's talk about the, the Pinch of Yum blog. Now, when did this start how tell me about like the the origin story of this of this blog yeah well um i i've always enjoyed cooking and i grew up in a family that really um enjoyed food so that's always been something that i've been interested in um but i don't have like a formal um culinary background or anything it just kind of started out as a hobby thing um when bjork and i first got married um which was a uh, four years ago about it was about four years ago um we i i was making a lot more food than i had before just because we, i was cooking for the both of us <laughs> okay. and um looking um you know looking online for recipes and kind of like getting introduced to the whole concept of a food blog and anyways i um i kind of jokingly suggested one day maybe i should start a blog because i'm you know trying all these new recipes and whatever and and Bjork was, um, I was kind of kidding about it, and but Bjork said, no, I think you really should, and I'll get you set up with a free page, a free, I, we started with a, a Tumblr page, okay, and so, uh, or like a Tumblr site, I guess you would say, and, and so I started blogging there, and then um, that would have been, gosh, um, it was, it, we're coming up on four years in April, so that would have been like, what, 2010? Okay, happy anniversary. So, yeah, Your, thanks. Blog, blog anniversary. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's what they call it. Um, one thing, too, that I think that I'll chime in here that I think is important is Lindsay mentioned we started out on Tumblr. Um, and I think it's important for people to know, like, the the progression of a blog. And as people are thinking about getting into it, and I'm guessing for your audience, Nick, there are entrepreneurs, people that are into it. And then there's probably also a, a subset that are like entrepreneurs that are people that are interested in or kind of playing around with this idea of like, what, what is my side hustle going to be? Definitely. Um, and for us, it was like, we had no clue about anything related to anything online. <laughs> um, and I remember some of the first posts that Lindsay would do, she would, uh, 
take pictures and then she would put them in a post and then publish that. And then would just, there'd be like literally, um, there'd be a, a, a sentence down below that says recipe to follow and then would go and publish another post that would have the recipe in it. Okay. Um, because we didn't know how to put them together. <laughs> like that's the, that's the point that we were at. Um, and so I would, I would encourage the people that are listening that are thinking about it to, to not wait until they feel like they fully understand everything and to jump in. And I, I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I think that's an important part of the story is for us, like just how much of beginners we were. And in some ways, you know, we still are, um, but you don't get to the place where you pr- feel confident pressing publish by like learning a bunch and then doing it. It's like, you jump in and do it and through the process you learn. And, and for us, that, that, that was really, really true. So Definitely. I think that's an important part of our story. I really like that. Learn, learn by doing kind of this, um, yeah, for sure. This mentality yeah. of, Hey, I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. Now, at what point did, did you make the switch from Tumblr to your own domain? Yeah, that was is about a year in, Lindsay, is that right? Yeah, I don't really remember, I guess, specifically because you were more involved with that. But yeah, um, yeah probably after about a year. Okay. I think it was at the point where we realized like, hey, this is something that we want to actually try and figure out and something that we want to try and do really well. Um, and I think it was also at the point where we realized or I felt like there might be people that are Tumblr fanatics that might disagree, but like, um, I feel like Tumblr is a little bit better for like short format stuff, like, you know, um, sharing pictures or, um, not, but not so much like super long format stuff with recipes. And, and there's just so much, especially for a food blog that you can do within WordPress, like recipe plugins that do certain formatting and stuff. So it was kind of, as we, you know, learned, um, what's out there and what's available and looked at other blogs that were doing really well um, food blogs that were doing really well and kind of reverse engineered what they're doing. And we said, Hey, a lot of these people are on WordPress. That's probably not just by chance. Um, so we switched over. So, yeah, I saw some stat the other day. It was like, you know, one out of five or something, one out of six, like of every website on the planet is running WordPress right now. It's just, yeah, they're taking, they're taking over the world and, and for good reason, like it's, it's yeah. good software. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so previously it was like pinch of yum.tumblr.com and then, right. Okay. Right. Okay. Yep. So then it was, and now it's pin, just pinch of yum.com, just straight, the straight URLs. Huh? That's better. For, it's better for branding yeah. and stuff. Worthwhile sure. to make that investment. And if anybody wants to, maybe I'm opening the door here, Lindsay, I don't know. Um, but the the site is still there. Um, so like oh, all, the, all the old posts and stuff, like all the archives, things that we didn't bring over to the new site, all of that stuff is there. So if anybody wants to go back and look, you can literally go back and see like the first posts, the first posts ever on Pinch of Yum. Was was the Tumblr site starting to get uh, a bunch of traffic, a bunch of traction? Is that kind of what prompted the hey, this is, this could be a serious thing. Maybe it's time to to invest in the domain, invest in the hosting, and, and make this happen. Um, I think it was, and you can weigh in here, Lindsay, if you remember back. But I think it was more of like frustrations with capability and yeah. less about like this huge audience. Um, that wasn't quite at the point where there's like there's there's this huge following um it was more of like hey we really want to do this stuff and we don't feel like we can um and and there's probably ways that we could have but it's just like there's so much out there because there's you know one in six or whatever the stat was sites that are running on wordpress there's just so much more out there and available for it um 
So it, it was just easier to do what we needed to do. So that was the reason for the switch. What do you think made made Pinch of Yum kind of stand out? There's like there's obviously a million and one food blogs. It's one of those universal subjects right. that everybody um, you know feels strongly about because everyone loves to eat. And you know what what do you think was kind of the catalyst for for making the site take off the way it did? Um, you know, I think like in the beginning, there was really nothing that made it stand out. Um, I was, I don't know, I was, as I'm trying to think through the different, you know, elements that make it unique, um, especially in the beginning, I just, I think it was pretty average. Um, but as I started to learn more about, um, how to take better pictures, um, that started to bring more people in. And I think as I started to get more people, then I started to really pay attention to, you know, posting good recipes and posting consistently and trying to make it a connection, um, with my audience. And I think now there are things that make it unique. Like we share, you know, in the income reports, the monthly income reports on the blog. And we also have, I've done a couple posts, um, on food photography and have, um, self-published a ebook on food photography. So a lot of the blog has kind of become teaching others about food blogging. Uh, but that really didn't exist from the beginning. And I think really the formula for, I mean, quote unquote success in the beginning was just, just doing it, just doing it, um, day after day after day and just, you know, posting and putting content out there and hopefully good content most of the time. Um, and just kind of letting it letting it grow um, naturally, I guess. I don't know. That's not really a good answer to your question, but I guess the bottom line or the takeaway is like, there's really nothing about it. It's not even it's not even super niche when it comes to food. Like it's not gluten free or it's not, <laughs> um, you know, any of those. There are so many sites like that now that can market to a really niche, not just the food audience, but a really um, niche audience within the food community. And it's not. It doesn't have that. Um, so I think a lot of that you know, a lot of that growth can just come from the consistency and, um, consistently posting good content, I guess, over time. It's become the, um, it's become the food bloggers food blog, you know, it's not just, it's not just recipes for, you know, people like looking it up in their kitchen. It's like, Oh, these, I want to do what these guys are doing, you know, and and kind of the behind the scenes stuff of that. And I like what you say, like, there's no, there's no, I mean, when you say it's not a good answer, of course it's a good answer. If it's the truth, like, Hey, we were just, (laughs) they're busting our butts publishing every day, hopefully good content. And over time, you know, that, um, that body of work kind of rises to the top. And that's the thing with, with blogging in particular is it's easy to start a blog and you can do it for free or you could, you know, set up your own hosting and stuff. Um, the harder part is kind of keeping going after those six months mm-hmm. where the only people reading it are you and your mom. And, right. and it's just, it, it can be frustrating. Like it feels like you're talking into a vacuum. Um, so my next question was kind of like, you know, if there was any like big win that really like opened up the the floodgates or like a big spike in traffic or some press exposure, but it sounds like it was kind of just a, a, a slow iterative process. Well, the funny thing is that there was um, there was kind of a, a moment in time that, I don't know, I guess um, spiked things a little bit. But the funny thing about it is that we really didn't even know about it until, what, Bjork, like a year later? Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah. Um, but Bjork, maybe you can explain it a little bit better. Um, so yeah, more. it actually came from a question from somebody on a, on, a, on a post. And they said, at what point? Do you feel, or no, they had asked, I think I had posted a screenshot of, of the traffic that we, that we had. And, and somebody asked, what is that spike in March? I think it was in March. 
Okay. And I didn't know. I had no <laughs> idea. So go dig into it. Yeah. So I looked into it, and it was um, it was from a pin from somebody named Jane Wang, and I had no idea who that was. Um, and her Pinterest profile picture was like a penguin. <laughs> okay. So which didn't help at all. Um, but then I looked into it, and and at the time she was one of, and maybe still is, I don't know, was one of the most popular. Um, people on Pinterest. Um, and she's the daughter, or she's the mother of the founder of Pinterest. Um, so oh, okay. <laughs> whatever reason she became one of the most popular people, I don't know if it was like somebody that was like a suggested profile to follow or what her story is, but she had pinned a recipe on pinch of yam. Um, and just the way that Pinterest works, like once it's, once it's pushed into the kind of Pinterest stream, that kind of created, um, you know, a kind of a viral mess to this, um, this certain post. Um, and like a lot of blogs, you know, there's, there's, there's a plateau and then there's a jump and then there's another plateau and then there's a jump. Um, at least that's what it's been for pinch of yum. And that was one of the times when there's a jump. Um, and then it plateaued a little bit, but that was kind of the initial time when it, when it went from like, you know, a couple hundred people to a day or whatever it was, to like thousands. Um, so that was the first time where we jumped into decent numbers. And, um, and I think a really definitive point where we can say at that point it became like, okay, we can see the potential for earning an income from a blog. Um, whereas before it was like, Hey, that's kind of cool. There's a a few hundred or maybe a thousand people that are visiting every day, but this kind of pushed it over into a new level. Yeah. Some big, some big, big traffic numbers. At that point, was that when you started putting ads on the site? I'm curious how the the monetization worked. And just for people listening, they are very public with their with their income reports. And the, at the time of this recording, we're looking at over seventeen thousand dollars in January of 20, 2014. So it's pretty serious uh, side hustle income here. Yeah. Yep. Um, but talk to me about the about the monetization strategy that's on the site. Yeah. So. Um we, that, that first report that we did was in September of 2011. Um, and the, it wasn't so much of like, Hey, now we can start monetizing. It was more of like, I wonder if this is possible. And there's kind of two conflicting ideas or, or beliefs that, that I had heard. There's a couple posts that I had heard or read from people that were in the food blog industry. And they're like, it's impossible to create an income from a food blog, and here's why. And then there's also the people like Gary Vaynerchuk on the other side who I was kind of familiar with, even though I didn't have a blog or wasn't doing any type of like um, online business, but just interested in what he had to say and just an interesting personality to listen to. Mm-hmm. And he was on the other side saying, hey, you can, you know, if you've ever read Crush It or if you remember that book, he gives an example of like, hey, if you – are really into fishing and specifically really into worms. Like you can create a worm blog and then monetize <laughs> that. So I feel like there, for me, it was these two conflicting ideas. Um, and Lindsay was starting to get some initial success or, or at least what we thought was like, Hey, there's, you know, a good number of people that are visiting the blog. Um, and so, you know, we kind of had this time where I was like, Hey, what, what do you think about trying to create an income from this thing? Um, and kind of testing out and seeing which one of these things, you know, which one of these concepts is true. Um, and and we're both, I think we're both all in on it. 
and then we jumped in and started doing it. So we called it the, you know, those first ones, we called it the food blog money-making experiment. Like, hey, let's experiment with this and see what it's like. And, and we just really had no clue what we were doing. Um, so we were experimenting. We started out and, with we started out with $21.97 in, in August 2011. So a little over yeah. a year after launching, you guys earned enough to, to go out to a cheap, you know, burrito dinner or something. Yes, yeah, right. Yep. Um, all the way up to 70,000 last month. Um, yep. <laughs> pretty crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, it is. And I think it's, it's, um, just so the people that are listening know, like it's this combination of like tinkering and figuring out what works and also the dedication of like consistently posting. So, um, it's not like we learned these like incredible, crazy, um, you know, internet marketing things. Um, <laughs> it's it's it was small changes small adjustments small improvements along with like continually increasing traffic and as anybody that's listening knows that's kind of like the ultimate combination of like increasing traffic while increasing um the effectiveness of your blog whether that be like conversion rate or um you know cpm of ad networks or products or things like that so um Right. So, so you, did you start off with some with, display advertising or or AdSense or, you know, affiliate yep. stuff? Or what did you guys yeah, start off with? We started out with like a uh, food blog specific advertising company when we first got started. Um, and it was, you know, they didn't have very strict requirements for getting accepted. So it's not like we had to have, you know, 500,000 page views or something a month. Um and that was called Foodie Blog Roll, and I and I'm not super familiar right now, but um, I think Foodie Blog Roll is still around and available. Okay. Um, and then you know, and as we think back to it, I remember being like, "We're going to add an ad to Pinch of Yum," and it felt like, "No, like we're selling out." <laughs> it just felt like the biggest change. I don't know if you remember. After working for a year and a half, uh, you yeah, know, for, right. for completely for free. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's going to leave and, you know, we're going to get hate emails. And, and then, so we added that. And then eventually we added another one. I think it was an AdSense ad where we saw, Hey, some people are doing AdSense. And again, it felt like, ah, this is a huge, huge change. We have two ads now, but, um, over time we've just kind of slowly tinkered and adjusted. And, and now we're using an ad network called BlogHer, which is, um, specific to women oriented blogs. And then we backfill and then also have some ads from legit, which is now it was acquired by Federated Media. And then it was acquired again by a company called Sovereign and then AdSense as well. So, yeah. And are you selling like, I mean, is there like a, a personal branded uh, pinch of yum food book or I'm sorry, a cookbook or kind of did you guys start creating your own products? Yeah. You want to talk about that lens? Yeah. Um, so what year was it? Was that end of 2012 that I did Tasty Food Photography? That sounds right. Must have yeah. been. I think it was. Anyways, um, so it would have been a little, almost two years ago, um, that I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write an ebook. And at the time, I had wanted to do a, a cookbook or an e-cookbook, I guess. Um, but through a number of different, um, you know, factors, I ended up changing my mind and deciding to go the route of more of a how-to for food photography. And kind of like a, a beginner's guide, and it was geared towards food bloggers. And um, so that was the first pinch of yum product. And it's just an ebook, it's like 60 pages uh, PDF file, and then access to some tutorial videos um, on the site as well. 
But um, that's been really fun. It's been one of the more surprising parts of the blog, um, just because I really had no idea what to expect from that. And um, I'm not like an expert at food photography, but being self-taught and having kind of come from being really bad to being decent um, with photography, um, it's. I feel like it provided a, a nice way for me to be able to, um, I don't know, walk other people through that process as well. And it's just been really fun to see the response on that. So that was the first product. Um, and, and then I did an update to that, um, last year. So it was, um, continuing to, to sell pretty well. And then what's the, what's the price point on that? Oh yeah. Um, $19 is what we have it at right now. Okay. And, um, and then this fall, uh, I put out my first e-cookbook and then that is, um, actually it's a kind of a expansion of a collection of recipes that use this creamy cauliflower sauce that had been a, a post that I had done, um, a few months earlier that had done really well on Pinterest. It had, you know, a, a bunch of shares and a bunch of comments. And a lot of people were, were really in, enjoying this creamy cauliflower sauce. So I ended up <laughs> okay. doing a collection of recipes, um, got a little sick of the creamy cauliflower sauce, <laughs> but I did 30 recipes with creamy cauliflower sauce and that, um, we are also selling on the blog now and it's what, what is it? $9? Yep. Yep. Um, so those are the two uh, pinch of yum products, I guess, that we're selling now. And right now, I'm actually wrapping up my, my another um, e cookbook. So um, definitely trying to keep the momentum going with adding products, and um, I don't know, constantly reevaluating what makes them valuable and how to price them and how to um, I don't know, bring other encourage other people to share them if they're useful and that kind of a thing. Definitely. And so what's been the pushback? Like you said, you were afraid of putting the ads on the site. There's going to be uh, there's going to be a revolt. There's going to be a mutiny. Um, so what what ended up happening? Uh, specific to the ads? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that more I mean, with everything that we've done, I think there's the reality of like um, or with just creating a business or a blog in general, there's this kind of weird reality in that like everything is significant and at the same time, nobody cares. So like with the ads, like we put ads on there and really like nobody really cares. It's not like people are going to, you know, it's going to affect their day to day. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> the significance of it is pretty small, but at the same time, there's this other side where it's like, and at at the same time, everything matters in the sense that it affects how the blog looks. It, it affects the performance of it. Like it loads a lot slower because of it. Um, and in general, like degrades the brand a little bit. So it's almost like, I think people notice it, but I think like the subliminal, um, cost is greater than like the blowback cost. Okay. Um, which pushes, I think pushes the decision for people with a blog into less about like the fear of doing something like putting ads on your site or doing a sponsored post, um, and more into the, the, the realm of like, how is this going to affect my brand? Um, not in a way that people are going to be mad at me, but in a way that maybe people aren't going to interact or be as engaged or be as, um, you know, stay as long on the blog because of it. So I think the, the, there wasn't any, like, obviously any people emailing and saying, Oh my gosh, you put up ads. You shouldn't do that. Um, yeah, I see but, that some of the time on like the sites that I get asked to review, you know, it's this personal blog that has, you know, a few hundred visitors a month. Like it's still, yeah. it's just starting out and then they'll have AdSense, you know, on the sidebar. And it's like, 
you know, is the, is the, you know, 50 cents you're going to make from this. Like, yeah. Is that worth like selling out your, your kind of like fledgling audience? Like, is it, you know, is it, there's trade-offs. Is it, is it worth it? Yeah. Yep. And I think that the, that becomes increasingly harder as you get bigger numbers. So like for, I was just having this conversation with somebody this morning, um, and trying to weigh the positives and negatives. And, and especially when you get into like January, February, March, like ad networks in general perform so poorly in the first quarter um, that especially for a blog that's getting smaller numbers, but even when you get into higher numbers, you start to weigh the positives and negatives. Um, and I think our long-term hope would be to remove ads completely. Um, but it becomes a difficult decision when you're weighing, you know, it's, it's not like, hundred dollars a year it's like you know fifty to seventy thousand dollars yeah, a year it's, it's big money so uh in yeah. terms of like the the breakdown what percentage would you say is coming from advertising and what percentage is coming from sales of your guys own products yeah so it depends on the time of the year um and it shifts higher to advertising in in the third and fourth quarter just because of how you know ads work and companies need to spend through their ad budget in the fourth quarter so then they spend more um and ad ad networks then can charge more and you know it's a classic kind of supply and demand i had no idea Um, yeah yep um and uh so in the first quarter in general at least at this point um products and affiliate marketing is is um our best performing um uh segment uh, but usually fourth, third and fourth quarter, at least in our, the last couple of years, um, that's been advertising. Um, but I, I, I'm not like an advertising expert, but I feel like more and more, just because there's so much good content out there and, and people are using the web more, um, that in general, banner advertising is going to become less and less um, effective and less and less of a return on the investment. So our hope I think long-term would be to move away from it. Um, but at this point, I think we'll probably stick with it just because there is still a very um, obvious return on it. Um, but there's obviously a negative side as well. Right. So. I wanted to go back. You guys mentioned um, how you're, you're huge on Pinterest. I was looking at one of your reports and it was like half a million visits or something referred from Pinterest last month. Just mm-hmm. insane numbers. Like mm-hmm. Aside from getting pinned by the founder's mom um are there any like specific uh tips or tactics that people can use to um to boost up their their exposure or their um presence there Um, i think i think like um the biggest thing well i mean okay so the biggest thing for me um that maybe is noteworthy is that i didn't even use pinterest as a i didn't have my own account on pinterest until what six months ago maybe okay wow. um and so all of that traffic and and i was getting a quite a, a bit of traffic from pinterest even like like me joining and having the account as of six months ago really didn't change anything about how much um pinterest traffic i'm getting so um I think a lot of that comes ba- comes back down to um, visual focusing on visuals and focusing on um, ways that you can engage people through kind of the uh, well through photos or through whatever is um, you know graphics or something that's pinnable that's shareable that's quick to consume you can look at it and understand it right away and I think that um, 
part of the the reason for all that traffic um, coming from Pinterest is because of the visuals and not that like, oh, I have the greatest photos, you know, because a lot of, there are tons of great food photos on Pinterest. Well, don't, but don't, I, I think, you know, give yourself some credit. The pictures are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I just feel like when you can when you can showcase what you're trying to communicate in a really clear, nice way um, and it's quick for people to look at and then and then save or pin or share with whoever. Um, I just think that's a really big thing. And obviously it's been big for us, even without my participation in Pinterest. Um, I don't know. It's been kind of an interesting experience because a lot of people ask, oh, well, you know, how, how much, what are you doing on Pinterest to get all that traffic? And it's nothing. I don't do, I haven't done really anything. (laughs) Let let somebody else do the work for you. I mean, that's, that's I think the ultimate testament of, you know, having built a valuable resource that other people are linking to it and pinning that stuff, you know, without even your involvement. That's really cool. Yes. Yeah. It's been really cool. I think it's a hard um, thing to understand too, because there's such a huge push for social media because I think it's important. And I think, at the core of what it is, is like this desire and this need to connect with people, which is a really good thing. Uh, but I think sometimes people can get distracted by it and think that that is the thing, like building a social media profile on Facebook or Pinterest or Twitter. Um, and I think that I'm listening to a Seth Godin book right now um, called Poke the Box. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's this great like it's actually the audiobook that I'm listening to, and it's this great two and a half hour audiobook or something like that. Okay. But in it, he talks about polishing. Um, and I think that sometimes um, people can be continually, continually polishing as opposed to building. Um, and I think it's important for like people that are doing a side hustle um, to occasionally polish, but continually build. Um, just because when you build something, that's what people come to, um, whether it's content, a video, a site, um, like that's the core of what it is. And then once you've built it, s- spend time occasionally polishing that, but um, don't continually polish something that you've built. <laughs> um, I'm so guilty. I'm so guilty of this. Like I'll just, you know, stand there and like try and tweak the stupid thing in the sidebar yeah. and be like, oh, you just want it to be like five pixels right. higher. You know, why yeah, doesn't yeah. it look right? And it's like it, you and I both. It doesn't yeah. matter at all. Like you know, it's just like you know that whole the whole ship it. And you know, my one of my quotes yep. that I have a hard time sticking to sometimes is you know, perfection is the enemy of good yep. enough. And just like yep. get it out the door. It's fine. You know, <laughs> if you could fix it later, yeah, could work yep. on something that's actually gonna you know make a difference in life. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And I think that's really, really hard to do because in general, people like things to be done really well, which is a strength and it's a good thing, but it can also hold you back because, um, you know, you're, you're scheduling out pins for three hours of your day. Um, when in reality, like it's creating an awesome post that, you know, or a recipe or a food photo that people will come to and pin, um, as opposed to like you trying to push your content in front of people, it's creating stuff that people come to. So I think, yeah, definitely. Good point. So, uh, so Lindsay, you're so you're, uh, you mentioned you were a teacher, elementary school teacher. Yeah. I want to talk on, you know, this is, this is the side hustle show. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of the, the time management and the game plan. How do you, to get all this stuff done in, um, you know, while still working a, a day job? Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of been, um, it's kind of been a constant, 
I don't know, I don't want to say struggle, but you know, it's a struggle. Um, anybody who has works more than one job, um, can probably attest to that. But, um, I, I think the biggest thing for me, um, has just been trying to, trying to be really intentional with my time. So, um, we've had a couple of things to our advantage over the last few years. Um, in, in terms of the side hustle kind of mentality and schedule. But, um, one thing is we were just talking about this. Um, we actually have lived most of our married life together without a TV. And we just now, the funny thing is we just got a TV like a couple days ago. So I'm now sitting right next to this big TV <laughs> in our living room, but you, you survived so long it, without it, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And a PS4. You forgot to mention that, which is a really important element of yeah. the purchase. All right. No more, there's no more blogging is ever going to get done now. Yeah, right. <laughs> which is, speaking of polishing, I'm going to be polishing my Madden skills <laughs> nice. over the next few months. So. Um, no, but I think that like just, just really cutting out distractions, um, has been a big thing. So like that, just like TV watching and, and whatever, it just hasn't really been a part of our lives. And, and that not, not to say that that's the only thing, but you know, like another thing is we don't have kids yet. And, um, a lot of our friends have kids and they, they're like, well, how can you do that? And we, you know, we just, we have a lot of things in our lives that set us up to have that free time. And I think the fact that both of us have things, um, has made, has made the, I don't know, like the, the second job thing a little bit easier. So where we both come home, we both, you know, have dinner and then we both work again in the evening. So it's kind of like our time spent together sometimes is just time working, you know, time at home, time working. Um, but definitely like definitely a lot of weekends, um, a lot of, a lot of weeknight evening, um, work happening. But I think the thing about, um, a side hustler, if you have a, a side thing is that if you're really excited about it and you're seeing some cool things happen, it doesn't feel it, it's work and it takes a lot of work, but it, it's not like I come home and I'm like, Oh, now I have to do this. It's like, I can't wait all day to get home. You know, I love teaching, but I love getting home and being able to, you know, have the freedom to do what I want to do, um, kind of in those off hours, if that makes sense. Do you see yourself uh, eventually quitting the teaching job and doing this full time? I mean, the the income's obviously already there, right? Um, it's definitely something we've talked about for a long time, and and this would have been, you know, this year it was a it was a decision too about going back, just because the income now is at the point where it pretty far surpasses my. <laughs> which, you know, it's not really a secret to anybody. So, um, but, you know, teaching and I think both of our jobs, but for me, teaching, um, it's a part of my identity and, um, it's something that I believe in and that I think is really important. So yeah, it's definitely something we talk about. And I think that in general, that's, that's the direction that we're heading. Um, I don't see myself, you know, now I'm part-time and I don't see myself adding more hours, if anything, you know, it would be moving away from that and moving more towards doing the blog full time for sure. I feel like we're definitely at a point where that, that makes sense. Um, that makes sense. So, okay. yeah. Very, very cool. And, um, Bjork, you mentioned earlier kind of the, all the stuff you guys do to give back and how the, the income from the site, you know, that is, that you know gets people's attention and but it also allows you guys to do some things i think i was reading about you know your is it in the philippines your charity work and stuff like that yeah so last year Lindsay and i spent um a year in the philippines so there's a orphanage called the children's shelter of cebu um and we spent a year there Lindsay was teaching and then i was volunteering and then working as well um and 
we've, you know, I'm on the board of this organization now, so um, we've been able to stay connected um, after we've come back from that. But um, in a lot of ways, like there's a piece of our hearts um, that is still in Cebu, um, that's still with the kids there at the orphanage. So um, I think that it's it's cool that we're able to give back financially um, in a way with some of the income. But I think maybe more importantly for us, um, like we're just able to connect other people um, with the, the work that's happening there. Um, and I think that people want to be connected to good things. And it's just a really good thing that they're doing there. Um, and the people that are involved. And we saw that being there for a year, just the insane amount of work that these people put in. Um, and how much they love these kids that they take care of. There's from at, at any point, there's like 80 to 90 kids that are there. Um, and they just do a really, really good job. Um, and so, uh, I think we're excited because of the voice that the blog has that we're able to occasionally use a, a, a piece of that voice to direct people. Um, and you know, whether it's on the side hustle podcast or in a, <laughs> income report or, you know, in, in a blog post, like we're able to direct some attention to that, um, which is a cool thing. And, and we're honored to be able to do that. And yeah, what a cool, uh, what a cool experience that, you know, to be able to take a year and, and head over there. Yeah, it was awesome. And it worked out really well in that Lindsay was able to, to get, come back and work at the same school that she was at and she didn't get like an official leave, but, um, you know, her principal was really cool about being like, hey, we want to do whatever we can to hire you back when you guys get back here. And I was able to stay plugged in with a nonprofit that I work with and do some remote work while I was there. Okay. Um, so it was, we just felt like it was a really cool experience and I think changed our perspective on how we view the world and how we process, you know, life in general. So we feel really blessed. No, I I think so too. No, that's very cool. Uh -huh. um, I wanted to touch on the uh, the food blogger pro business as like a mm -hmm. as like we said a spinoff or side business of the side business. Um, this is up to four hundred and something members at twenty five bucks a month. This is a five figure monthly business all on its own. So how yeah, how did yeah. this thing get started? What's what's it all about? Yep. And just um, to just so it doesn't seem like it's a bigger success than it is. So part of those are people that <laughs> that have purchased a one-year membership or um, purchased like on Thanksgiving to Cyber Monday, we did like a uh, half-off one-year membership. So in terms of like the recurring element, it probably at this point ends up being anywhere from four to 6,000. And then there's also occasional sales that we'll do throughout the year on a one-year membership. So the recurring element is probably on average 5,000. Sure, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. And then, and then there's, you know, certain peaks where we'll do a sale. Like we did a, uh, um, a Thanksgiving, you know, like I said, Thanksgiving to Cyber Monday sale. And there's like $11,000 of memberships there and half off. So there's kind of, it, it ebbs and flows, but right now there's, um, you know, 430 people that are signed up to be part of food blogger pro. Um, and that really came from us getting email after email as we started to do these monthly reports and say, here's what we're doing to build a blog. Um, and then people would um, email and say, so how do I start a blog? What do I do? How do you do this? How do you do that? Um, and there was so much of that that eventually we came to a point where we're like, there's a, there's a really obvious need for a site that's just dedicated to food blogs. And one thing that we learned with Tasty Food Photography is like, 
we thought that, hey, we're going to, you know, Lindsay's going to write this book on food photography. We're going to publish it. And then 200 people are going to buy it. And then the market's going to be dry. Like there's not going to be anybody else interested in food photography. But what you realize is that there's, you know, 10 billion people in the world. And even if it's only 0.001% of those people that are interested in food photography, that's a, still a huge number. Um, and so we, we learned from that and said, hey, what would it be like to create a really niche site around food blogs um, and teach people how to build and start and grow a food blog? Um, knowing that even though it seemed like there wouldn't be very many people, there actually probably is a decent amount of people that want to do that. Um, so we actually built and launched that while we were in the Philippines, um, which as I look back, I would say that was probably my biggest regret from the year was because of how intense that was to go through that process. It, it took me away from the experience of living in the Philippines, which is a whole nother story, not, not for the whole year, but definitely for this like three month period while we were building it. Um, but what we did is we did a pre-sale on it and people signed up. Um, and paid anywhere from $49 to, I think it was $129. And then we used that money to invest in the site to build it. Um, and that's actually built on expression engine. So that's not a WordPress site. Um, expression engine is another content management system, very similar to WordPress, but, um, it's a paid for content management system. Okay. We'll um, link to that in the, in the show notes for sure. Yep. Yep. Um, and so, what was what was great about the process is that when we launched, we had an automatic built-in group of people that were already going to be members, um, and for for me, it it provided a really hard deadline where it was like we got to get this out the door on February first. So it was February first, twenty thirteen. Okay. Um, and and from there, we've switched then into the recurring revenue model where it's $25 a month to sign up um, or it's $125 when you do that once a year sale or 250 for the year. You sold some um, like charter lifetime memberships for people on yeah, they, sale. Yeah, and they weren't even lifetime. They were they were one-year membership, okay. discounted one-year membership. Okay, yep, okay. yep. Um, so, but <laughs> it's been a really, really good process and a huge learning curve just to go through that. Um, it's, it's a little bit, it's occasionally discouraging because we'll have, you know, like Lindsay's ebook that, you know, last month was a kind of an outlier month, but it made like $7,000 and you, in, in some ways you don't really have to touch that. It's just a system that exists. And, you know, we use eJunkie and they deliver the book and they collect the payment and the payment is deposited in PayPal. And with food blogger pro, it's a really time intensive thing for me, um, which I'm okay with. But I think it's it's been something that we've had to grapple with as we've had to switch back into like the growth stage of a site, um, whereas Pinch of Yum is at this stage where like, hey, we can create something and automatically it can be successful just because of the numbers of people that are involved. With Food Blogger Pro, we're still kind of in like the startup stage with it, which is really fun, uh, but also challenging in the sense that we need to continually be aware of. What's the, know, what's the value time. proposition for it? What do people get when they sign up? Yeah. So, uh, when people sign up right now, there's two main elements. It's videos. So we have over, I think it's over 300 videos now. Oh, wow. And those are like cook yeah. cooking show videos or like what kind of what yeah. videos yeah. do you have? So those are like screencasts of, um, 
you know, deep dives into plugins. So there's like easy recipes, a plugin that food bloggers can use to format their recipes. So they look good, but also, so they're formatted with SEO, um, you know, so they'll show up as in Google as, as, as recipe search results. Um, so there's screencasts and there's also like food shoots. So Lindsay will do go through, um, essentially start to end of a food shoot and say, here's the process that I use. Um, so it's kind of demonstration videos, it's screencasts, um, things that help people start and grow their food blog, essentially. Um, And then the other element is a community forum. So that's just getting to the point now where it's getting really active. Um, There's multiple people posting on there a day, asking questions, getting feedback, Um, and also connecting, which is a huge part as you're growing a blog. It's like, man, it can get really lonely when you're sitting in your dining room um, by yourself and starting a food blog. And it's like, none of your friends are probably starting a food blog, um, and they don't have the same questions or problems. And so the community element is is a big one as well. And then this year, we're going to start slowly adding in tools um, like a nutrition label generator. So you can drop in your ingredients, and then it, it creates a nutrition label for you. So that's yet to come. fancy. Yeah, pretty fancy. <laughs> hey, you guys aren't messing around. I like it. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show, sharing all this stuff with uh, with the Side Hustle Nation listeners. Um, everybody, you got to check out Pinch of Yum, beautifully done site. And also Food Blogger Pro, if you want to see how um, how they've got that set up. You know, guys, we'll wrap up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Cool. Um, I I can go first here. I think this is one that I've been um, thinking a lot about lately, and I think is really important. Um, and I and, and I posted about this recently, and kind of that post has got me thinking about it more as more people have connected and resonated with the idea, but. Um, for me, the number one tip would be, I call it 1% infinity. Um, so what does it look like to continually improve in really small um, percentages over time? Um, and I can attribute a lot of the success to Pinch of Yum to not necessarily huge ideas that we implemented over a long period of time, but like really small things that we've done um, like right before I've gone to bed. An example would be, um, you know, we start, we, I was thinking about starting food blogger pro and, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to email these developers that have done a membership site before and just see what they say about possibly building a site for, you know, for food blogger pro. And it was really that email that was the, the catalyst into food blogger pro. Um, and it was just that one little 1%, um, that it took a little bit of a mental jump, like, Oh, I'd really love to go to bed right now, but I'm just going to shoot them an email real quick. Okay. Um, no, I, so re- the idea I really of, resonate with that too. Just yeah. from the idea of, and, and I, I've never heard it expressed as, you know, this 1% infinity before, but like I have somebody once put it as like relentless incrementalism and maybe that was in like good mm-hmm. to great or something, but it's like, yep. you know, everybody wants like the, the overnight success, the get rich quick thing, but it's like, you know, this, you know, this daily March, you know, I'm just going to try yeah. and get a little bit better every, and then, you know, if you improve 1%, and I'm going to butcher the math on this, but over the course of 365 yeah. days, I know it's not 365, but it's like, it's a big percentage, you know? It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, and I think that, that, um, another way that that could show up is like, what does it look like if you have an issue instead of just ignoring it to see if you can just really quickly fix it? Um, and that's another example of like that 1% infinity. So it can be like, 
um, learning something new, but I think it can also be um, repairing something that's broken that you otherwise would ignore. So that's mine. Linz, do you have yours? Um, I think mine would just be to, I guess it's the same kind of thing where like you're talking about that, that, um, you know, one last push, you know, kind of thing before you go to bed, just do that one last thing or whatever. Um, but you know, we're, I don't know the work life balance thing when you're doing more than one job is just really challenging, but I feel like, um, the reason for, or what I attribute a lot of the success of pinch of yum to is just a constant, um, like saying, yes, I'm going to post. And now today, yes, I'm tired. And yes, I'm going to post. And now today, yes, I'm going to post. And so it's, um, it's not never saying, you know, no, I need a break. Um, but it's most of the time saying, yes, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it again. And now I'm going to do it again. And just kind of that continued, um, I don't know, consistency with whatever you're creating, whatever you're putting out there, um, doing that repeatedly and, and, I don't know, pushing yourself to be consistent, I guess. Um, I, I always struggle with, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't want to do it. And so I'll say, oh, well, that's the great thing because now you have a blog and now you you can say no and you can decide when you're going to post. But the reality is, you know, the blog wouldn't have gotten to where it is if I would constantly be saying no. And so it's trying to say yes, 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 most of the time. And, and then also knowing when you need a break. Um, cause you do need a break sometimes and, um, then to be okay to say no and get back up the next day and then say yes. So that's kind of the, I think the biggest takeaway. Get it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a challenge. Like figuring out how to get it done when you don't feel like getting it done. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much guys. And, um, that's, that's all I got. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Nick. Great. Thank you. Now, this is one conversation that definitely got me pumped up about the possibilities and potentials of online business. I mean, what a cool success story. I'm excited for Bjork and Lindsay and the future of their food blogging empire. So, I mean, what do you think? Is their story something you can resonate with? I especially love the the 1% infinity um, uh, piece. Like the, those tiny improvements we can make each day compound over time and add up to some really, really big gains. Now, I experienced this myself when I tried a 30-day push-up challenge. And if you see me in person, I'm not like a I'm not very strong. Um, so, so, but it was pretty simple. Like each day for a month, I did as many push-ups as I could each day trying just to beat the total from, from the day before. And I started off with like 27 or something, like a pretty pretty not not a very impressive total. But I ended the month at like in the 70s. It was nuts. If I had started off on day one trying to say, hey, I'm going to do 70 push-ups, like it w- would have been discouraging, impossible, and, and I wouldn't have even gotten started. But hey, by trying to just do one more or two more every single day, I got there. It was really, really cool to see. So those small incremental improvements are huge. Tons, and um, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. So uh, links and resources mentioned in this episode, go grab them at sidehustlenation.com slash episode 46. And that's it for the show. Until next time, go out there, make something happen, and I'll see you next week in episode 47. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 